Every life tells a story, and through that life, an even greater story is being told. Today, we will hear from Pastor Terry Kripe, one of many voices of faith. of Faith. I'm your host, Mark Matsky, and it's my pleasure tonight to have the opportunity to talk to Terry Kripe. Terry has been in the ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, going on 40 years. He'll hit 40 years in 2015. He's serving in his eighth year as the district president of the Ohio District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And so it's my pleasure to welcome Terry Kripe. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me tonight. And uh, where I'd like to start is, I'd just like to hear you talk, if you would, about your upbringing and how that contributed to your understanding of who God is. Sure. Uh, I'll tell it in terms of flashback incidents that I that I remember. Um, I, I was raised in Sturgis, Michigan for the first five years of my life. I remember one summer evening with a lime popsicle in my hand, running down the street, singing a part of the liturgy as a song. Uh, so obviously I, I was being raised in the faith then. My mom has a picture of me at five years old in front of the back porch. Uh, I wanted her to sew me a pastor's robe. And I have that on, and a stole around my neck, and I have my hands up giving a blessing. Wow. Um, I spoke to our pastor as I remember leaving church, telling him one Sunday, you're not holding the Bible right <laughs> while you're shaking hands with people. He was impressed by that, I think. Um, then then I, I would jump ahead to a quandary I faced, as in Boy Scouts, and there was going to be a Sunday camp out, Saturday Sunday camp out, and a hike and the medal that you got was a pretty cool medal, and I really wanted to go. But I knew I should be in church, too, on Sunday as well. So I asked Mom and Dad, and they said, you've got to figure this out for yourself. We're not going to tell you what to do. So I stewed about it and stewed about it and figured, you know what? I think um, despite that cool-looking medal, I should probably be, I really ought to be in church Sunday. So I did go to church Sunday, got on the bus the next day and found out some of my other friends didn't go either because they were in church. And that started then the whole scout in our area of providing a chaplain when they took weekend hikes and things so so that uh, we could have a worship service on Sunday morning on the hikes. So, so that's sort of a groundbreaking yeah, it, thing in a way. Yeah, uh, but that, that one stuck out in my mind is that's that was one of a, yeah, this is more important to me, and it was not my parents telling me. And so then I knew, well, I guess I've kind of internalized uh, the faith then, and I'm doing this of my own volition and not because somebody told me I have to do that. So that was a 
a nice insight. I mean, there's times for both in your life, but I had reached that bridge, I seemed to me anyway. At a fairly early age as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I uh, looked up my baptismal certificate, <laughs> found it, and discovered my parents had me baptized a month to the day after I was born, which was typical in the 1940s of, of that happening. So... Born December 11th, I was baptized January 11th. <laughs> to the day. Uh, to the day, yeah. And uh, so that's kind of neat to see. Um, but that's those are those are I mean, uh, childhood incidences that I remember mm-hmm. that uh, showed. We always liked to go to church, liked to go to vacation Bible school and things of that nature. Always very interested in, in uh, things about God. Did, would you say that you felt a calling to pastoral ministry early on? I can't explain wanting to have my mom sew me a pastor's robe and <laughs> stole any other way. Uh, for a while, I wanted to do that. Then maybe maybe for a while, I thought I'd like to be a cartoonist. Um, the only serious challenge to this came in high school. I was fascinated by tape recorders and thought, I'd like to be a musical engineer. But I hadn't a clue where you go to school to be a musical engineer. Mm. Uh, so I went to the other side of what I thought a gift mix was, and that was public speaking. And I thought, well, let's let's continue down the former path you had as a kid and see if, if this would work out for preaching and stuff like that. So I continued down that path, and here I am. That's great. During your ministry, have you been able to do any sort of broadcasting or radio um, programming yeah. of any kind? Yeah. When I got to Defiance, I found out, the local Lutheran churches there have a five-minute program every morning. Uh, and so I was just told, here's your dates, go to the radio station, be prepared for a five-minute devotion every day. And nobody told me it was six out of seven days. So I went with five days, and the radio station didn't tell me anything. They just rebroadcast one of the other ones. I got a letter the next week. President Kripe, or Pastor Kripe, we're paying for this. We off, we think we ought to at least get six messages for our money instead of five and a rerun. Okay, nobody ever told me that. So, but we did those, and I tried to do them in a very conversational way, um, and and tried to make because I'd had broadcasting in in high school and knew kind of how this should come across. So, yeah, I I tried to make them very conversational, a little five minute um, moment of devotion, and and uh, always surprising. I never thought anybody was listening. But after the first time I did it, people would stop me on the street. Hey, Pastor Craig, we heard you this morning on morning meditations. Really, you did? And people would tell my wife, she worked for the city. Hey, we heard your husband this morning. I was surprised how many people really actually tuned in at 725 in the morning listened to that little devotion. Surprising. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. And you know, at the church that I serve here in Zanesville, Trinity Lutheran, we have a half hour on the radio every Sunday morning where it's sort of the highlights of the church service from the previous Sunday. And in a similar way, I forget often that it's even being broadcast because it's Sunday morning at 8.30 or 9, so I'm never able to listen to it. But I'll go around and make visitation on some of our shut-in members and, and others, and they will consistently tell me, we listen to you every week, and it's just a the thing that is, again, fascinating to me is that that is such a rich area, a place that 
you need to be if you're broadcasting the Word of God, it, because that's where a lot of people live their lives today is you know, listening to the radio, turning on the television. And if you're not there giving them the goods, somebody else is going yeah. to. And it may not be the goods that they're giving. That's so, right. So. I've been surprised at how many times the demise of radio has been forecast. And it just doesn't quit. It just, like a chameleon, changes colors uh, and has gone through multiple formats and changes. Now a talk radio especially. Uh Something like this just fits right in, mm-hmm. and the people are happy to listen in. Yeah, yeah. So the the Holy Spirit was forming something in you from an early age. <laughs> Can you uh, elaborate on some of the pivotal moments in your young adult life, or your your early pastorate, or any any moment in that whole continuum that really was a pivotal moment where you were putting all of your weight on Christ? to pull you through or to just get you to where you needed to be? Yeah, I was in uh, between the summer of 11th grade and 12th grade. I had a spinal fusion, which was 12 thoracic vertebrae. I had scoliosis, which was a sideways curvature of the spine. Pretty severe. I think somebody said 65 degrees, which is, you don't monkey around with that. And uh, I remember lying in the bed after the surgery and, you know, just conversing with God quite a bit about that. Um, what am I supposed to do? Do you, do you want me to continue in the min- or to, to study for the ministry? Um, you've, you've kept me up this, this far. I mean, I had health problems. I had health problems quite frequently. I, I, uh, in, in kindergarten, kindergarten, oh no, I'm sorry, first grade, I had tuberculosis. So I was nine months separated from my family in a sanatorium. Mm-hmm. And I remember at night, the nurses would come in and and uh, ask if we wanted to say prayers. And of course, I knew the Lord's Prayer by that age. I also knew the Apostles' Creed, so we'd end the night with the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed mm-hmm. uh, that way. And and so we kept nurtured in the faith that way at the sanatorium. And then and then, like I said, through this other hospitalization, it was pretty critical. Um, that that drew me pretty close to God, uh, as well as those times. Uh, too. And then in pastoral ministry, you always have these situations where you're really not sure what's going to happen. Somebody drops a bomb on you, and I remember once uh, the organist came up to me and said, well, I've been here five years. I think I deserve a pipe organ. And we didn't even have the space for a pipe organ, let alone the money. Yeah. And so that that took the church through quite a rigmarole of, of uh, tussling back and forth, and I wasn't always sure where my place was to be in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, God pulled through and we got it through and the church got it resolved and uh, everything was okay. But during those during those tense times, uh, anymore, it's just a matter of, okay, God's got, God's got the answer. This is going to see through. Just hang on to the ride. See how it's going to all turn out because he's one in charge. You might as well not uh, try to go against it because <laughs> that's not going to work out, right? Just right. follow what he's going to do. Stay out of his way. Stay out of his way, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to me that, you know, there are some some valid criticisms of the type of education that pastors receive while at the seminary in terms of training. Um, flip side of that is we can't stay at the seminary forever. Yeah. And there's certain situations that will be placed in front of you that there is no possible way for you to train for or have answers to ahead of time. You just have to go through that crucible and learn that bedrock trust 
in the Lord and to trust that his word is going to be the thing that makes the, the change in that situation. But you can only go through it. You know, uh, there's no course that really prepares you for that. It's sort of the whole, the whole picture of what you get at the seminary that helps enable you to, to find the answers in the right place. First congregation I served, I was blessed. Um, I got there and uh, I had been, an internship had been at a campus ministry. So we, know, we had no Christmas programs. Everybody was gone. So here I am coming on Christmas program. The parents are saying, well, what's it going to be? When's it going to be? And the secretary at the time was taking the stuff out of the mailbox and only giving me stuff that she thought I should have, which meant I got no advertisements. <laughs> so where do you get a Christmas program? I had no idea that a publishing house sent out brochures with options. And so I had to write my own. And I tried to write my own. And it was a dismal failure it was bad (laughs) and i could see it in the faces that people they walked out and and so i talked to the worship committee that helped me and he goes well that was a bomb wasn't it and yeah it was but at that moment and the weeks that followed i learned that the congregation really did believe the forgiveness of sins they forgave me for that and then we kind of joked about it afterwards said you know pastor you don't know this but we went to the candlelight service the church (laughs) 10 miles away that night because we didn't get a christmas service we didn't (laughs) they had to cleanse the palate (laughs) yeah yeah "Yeah, i'd agree with you you probably didn't get much of one uh that time so there were things that we could laugh about um and see that you know god has a sense of humor too but the people that was a blessed church because they actually practiced the forgiveness of sins Mm -hmm. um people didn't get really 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 bent out of shape on stuff for the most part once or twice but but everybody kind of rolled with the way things did. We lived together in uh, godly harmony, and it was a good time. Yeah, and what a lesson that is to take into any relationship in any setting, that forgiveness really is the heart of the gospel and what makes everything else work. Uh, that's fantastic. And sort of in tandem with that question and uh, your answer, what have been some of the greatest joys in your ministry that you've been able to be a part of? Um, I think seeing it, seeing the first building project that I did go through, when I got to this congregation in New Jersey, they were worshiping in a chapel in a cemetery. It had been built by a group called Old School Baptists in, eight, in the 1800s. It had no indoor insulation. It had no indoor plumbing. Um, it was just there. The, the, the cemetery association said, oh, we'd love to have you take care of the interior. We'll take care of the exterior and call it no, no rent. We'll just both do that. So, of course, Lutherans couldn't resist free, so they <laughs> chose to meet there, even though it was a lousy, obviously for the reasons I said, it was a lousy place to start a church. And that started in 1961. I got there in 1975, and uh, their, their registration book showed a lot of visitors who wound up joining in other places. I would see their names mm-hmm. <laughs> in the area of other places. And so the lady said the lady said to me, um, can we start building? I said, well, do we have a building fund? No. Do you even have an artist conception of what it would look like? No. Well, that's why you don't have a building fund. So we started down that process, got going, and five years later, by the grace of God, put up our own first unit, I was invited back four years ago when they did their second unit, and, and they said, Pastor Cripe, why don't you preach the last service in the, in, the, in the segment that you built 
And the New Jersey district president will preach the dedication of the new one. I said, oh, that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. So we just had a great time. There were still 11 families there uh, who had been there since 1975. We had a great time. So had, being the presence and helping to build that first unit uh, was, was just a joy. Uh, what was the real joy to me, though, was afterwards, we were, I was taking chairs back to this one couple's house. We stood outside and talked. And the wife turned to the husband and said, remember when he stood in front of us and had this chart and plan for the church council laid out of where we needed to go? Remember I nudged you with my elbow and said, why should we be concerned about this? He's not going to be here in five years. Why should we be concerned about it? And I kept getting people about the third or the fourth year saying, well, Pastor Craig, it's been good knowing you. We're happy you've been here. Wow. Uh, and I kept thinking, was there a meeting I missed? Or something that, that am I being let go or what? Mm-hmm. But it was just that there had never been any pastor stay that long, and they assumed he's going to drop out too. Well, I stayed fourteen years, and that was a that was a highlight of being able to see the thing go and grow, and uh, people's faith grow at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was especially being involved for the first time, right out. Not many guys get a shot at a building program the first. No, that's, five years of their ministry, right, and right. Uh, and that was a joy. Other ones have been different people that I've that I've baptized, different adults that you know you never thought. I don't think they're ever going to come to faith or something like that. And all of a sudden, bang, they're in an adult class. And and uh, uh, we had callers who would go out and visit newcomers to the neighborhood. And I got a postcard one day, the morning before I was supposed to send some folks out at night. And I didn't know where I was going to send them at that time. And mm-hmm. here comes this postcard. You have a new neighbor. So I casually gave them and said, here, go visit this, this. So they went over there. Here's a Jewish lady. They introduced themselves as members from, from uh, St. Peter Lutheran Church. Come right on in. I've always wanted to hear about Christianity. Wow. Came in. She was she got into the adult class, and I baptized her. I mean, talk about the hand of God at work. I mean, directing things, and you don't know what's going to happen. So that was quite a, that was a highlight uh, as well to see that, that take place. Yeah. And uh, that, those are... Two of the ones that really, in those early years, really got me excited about about things. On another, I don't know that I would consider this a highlight, but it was one that gave me great pause. A lady of our congregation here in Ohio called me one morning. She worked as a nurse and said, uh, Terry, I'd like you to come to the hospital. This family doesn't have a pastor on hand, and they just, she's just given birth to stillborn twins. Uh, could you come and, and offer you know some prayers and comfort? Mm-hmm. And I remember walking in, and the lady was still holding both of them in her arms. And that was a shock. I, I did not know that. And she explained, that, yeah, that's what we do now, so that there's not a separation. They never see them or anything. Mm-hmm. And, and they were just grief-stricken. And I realized the point, this is not a point that I'm going to be able to do much except pray for them because they're not able to hear a lot of stuff. It's just solid, raw grief that's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I left them with some materials and talked to the parents afterwards. Oddly enough, the mother had, the grandmother had gone through that very same thing, uh, stillborn. So I said, well, you can be a great comfort to your daughter. She said, yeah, I guess I can, can I? And help her through that. But I had never, the tears that she was crying reminded me of the Bible verse in Jeremiah, Rachel weeping for her children. And she could not be comforted because they were no more. Mm-hmm. And that just fit what this lady was going through. And that, that was an experience that really got to me 
to see that and then see family, husband. Uh, I talked to the husband about how now you really need to step up and, and be a support for your wife mm-hmm. going through this and who's going to minister to you. Well, they did have a pastor back home, so I felt good about that. But, boy, that's that's the most grief-stricken thing I think I've ever mm-hmm. been been involved with. It was it was pretty sobering. Yeah, it would be. And that, as you directed the mother, or the, the you know, the, the grandmother, as it were, um, how people can be uniquely positioned to help others because they've gone through something that we would consider to be tragic uh, and helping people to realize that, you know, maybe this is a purpose for which you went through that at, at one time, or you can choose to now minister to somebody else in their grief um, may um, the utter pain that they're going to feel, not just after they finally say goodbye and are buried, but going home. I saw that you had, you've had a nursery all painted up for these two kids and everything else. And now you're going to go home and that's going to be another strike in the heart every time you walk in there for a while. And another reason you need to turn to God for solace during that time, because that's going to just hit you right in the face when you go home and and see that empty room mm-hmm. and be reminded of, of the tragedy that's taking place here. So yeah. um, rely upon the word. Right. Right. Kind of looking at the uh, immediate situation and the future, what is God doing in your life right now uh, to prepare you for the next <laughs> thing? Or uh, just talk a little bit about how you sense God working through his means to assist you for your tasks? Because they're pretty specific. Yeah. The one thing, it's taken me a long while to learn. I'm still not always comfortable. But there have been times when there has been this voice. And I almost liken it when I read the book of Acts to the the Spirit coming up to Philip and say, catch up to that chariot up there and walk along beside of them. Only most of the times I hear that voice and I think, is that just me or what? And mm-hmm. and I, I don't like to follow that. And every time I have not followed it, I've been proven wrong. It's very aggravating. You know, that was the Spirit speaking to you. When are you going to catch on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not you talking. Yeah. So I struggle. That's been a, that has been a constant struggle and just getting more confidence in that. I think right now, Having gone through eight years as a supervisor of congregations, um, I think it's been very helpful to to have served previously in other positions where I hear a lot of pastors talk, as well as myself. And this past year, I've become a little bit more bold in saying things that otherwise maybe I have just kind of kept to myself. And I think that's that voice mm-hmm. saying, you need to say something about this. Okay, I will. And, and try and be very calm in doing so. But there are times when you have to tell a pastor, brother, this is not right, what you've been doing. Uh, you need to repent of that and uh, receive the forgiveness of Christ. But, but this is not a good direction. You're not living up to, to uh, what the scriptures talk about a pastor being. And some of those have been matters of anger, fits of rage. And, and uh, that's not healthy for congregation when you get into that one. Learning, again, through the Spirit's prompting, you know, you've got to talk about this. And mm-hmm. Even though it's, it's not been easy to do, more times I'm, I'm getting confidence and, and have been, been encouraged by others who watch me. Good, I'm glad you said that. 
Mm-hmm. You really needed to say that to that person. Yeah. Well, good. Um, it's almost a uh, prophetic element to the, the <clears throat> office that you occupy. It is. And I, for a long time, I kind of, I wouldn't say resisted it, but, boy, I feel uncomfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. But yet, I've gotten enough positive feedback from it that, yes, really need to do that. Mm-hmm. Really need to do that. And think about times in earlier in the ministry where I didn't do that. And, you know, like, now you know what happened when you didn't. Well, how about let's trying it when you do yeah. and see if that's right. any different. And uh, mm-hmm. it's proven to be a whole lot better to just... Uh, as as Paul says, speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to learn, yeah, get some practice doing that. <laughs> yeah, I would suspect that all pastors travel that arc throughout their entire ministry. And I, I certainly see that in myself, that part of, um, part of learning to be a good pastor is learning how to lead pastorally. And part of that is saying what needs to be said sometimes, even when it's unpleasant or unpopular, or you know you're going to take some shots for doing so, but knowing that uh, you can't just be Mr. Nice Guy all the time. And that's hard to navigate as a pastor, because I think there is a, a sort of a cultural expectation that the pastor is supposed to be nice yeah, <laughs> and is defined by that and and when you have to tell somebody stop doing what you're doing because you are harming yourself spiritually you're harming other people uh, now you're not mr nice guy anymore and you have to make that trade-off for yourself and be okay with that and yeah. that's that's you're learning that as a pastor and, and as a christian throughout your entire life i did a funeral of a member that was a pretty cantankerous lady. She would drive people away if they came to visit her. The insults that she would give would, would not be such that you would really want to go back next oh week to visit her again. And at her funeral, there were some family members there, not many of the people at church, because it was during the day and we didn't have a lot of folks who didn't work. But I, I did say at that funeral, uh, now we know she was a pretty cantankerous person, and the family just gasped. Uh, and I said, well, I'm sorry, but she was. Yeah. But that's why we need the grace of God and yeah. why why we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Um, she was that way. Mm-hmm. But the church loved her, worked with her, and, and tried to help her see things from a little bit different perspective. Right. But, but I just could not find myself giving any kind of a, uh, I know we don't do it, but anything close to a eulogy about how good this person was because the people there knew she right, was, she could be a pretty cantankerous mm-hmm. person. Yeah, and, uh, well, and I think that's that's refreshing because there is a certain uh, the people who I have ministered to who are grieving the loss of a loved one. There is something about grief that does cause you to paint the the deceased in just this very extremely overly positive way, <laughs> and everybody knows that that's really at the bottom, not true, but I think it's one of those things that's part of grief, uh, part of that uh, unique uh, course that you have to run in a, a case like that and, and helping people to, to say, you know what, it's okay to be candid about what that person was really like. And in the long run, it's going to be, that's how you're going to remember them anyway. Yeah. So let's just be real with each yeah. other. Yeah. Are there anything, any other points that we haven't hit is there anything that you would like uh, to say before we wrap things up? 
just to make sure it gets said. Yeah, I think I've become uh, much more cognizant of when the scriptures talk about persevere and keep going. Um, We're in an age right now where the Christian church, uh, in the United States anyway, is going to have its muscles tested and find out just how flabby we are in some cases, and that's going to be discouraging to a lot of folks. Uh, And so I think it's helpful to turn back the scriptures and see, remain faithful, uh, persevere. Uh, Trials are going to come your way. We haven't expected these things, uh, as other parts of the world have, and we need to look there and see they've got a pretty strong Christian church, I believe, by comparison. And as soon as we realize... um, it might not continue to be all rosy for the Christian church in this country, partly because we've inflicted damage on ourselves, but partly because of external forces that are going to put us through tests. So, so now is the time to be faithful in, in studying scripture and worship uh, and all things that build us up and keep us strong in faith. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. You know, it reminds me of uh, one of the classic confirmation verses from Revelation, be faithful to the point of death and you will receive the crown of life. And sometimes when you bestow that verse on a confirmation age, sixth, seventh, eighth grader, you can kind of see their eyes get a little bit bigger, like to the point of death. What what exactly does that mean? But I think you're right that there are going to be some pretty significant challenges to biblical Christianity in North America. Uh, maybe in the near future. And so the perseverance and the uh, Christ being the, the end, the, the be-all, end-all of the church is what's going to carry us through there. And, and we're just called to faithfulness. Yeah. So I really appreciate those words. Well, I thank you very much for joining us on Voices of Faith, the maiden voyage <laughs> of the podcast. You're welcome. And... Uh, I do want to say that if you want to contact us at Voices of Faith, please send us a message at faithpodcast at outlook.com. Again, that's faithpodcast at outlook.com. Write us at Voices of Faith. And thank you very much for your kind attention today. Again, I'd like to thank Terry Kripe for joining us today. And remember, weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning.